Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Amen. Amen. It's good to be in God's house. Good to see all of you this morning. Good to have you worshiping in our church, being a part of our family. One of the most notable things that I was told here recently is people came to our church and they said, well, why did you come? They said, well, we just felt at home. Let me tell you something. That is a great feeling. So I just say to all of you, if it's your first time or if you've been here for attending for a year or two years or 10 years, welcome home this morning. You're here to worship God with the family of God. And I just pray the Lord that just continue to to just let that be the moniker of our of our church. When people walk in, they just feel at home. They feel they feel like that they're in God's presence. Amen. Praise the Lord. Before I move into the word of the Lord this morning, I want to just recognize a few things. One is that small groups begin this next week, and I am excited about those groups because in those groups, your connections develop into relationships, and you get to meet people that strengthen you. And uh, this this semester, we have an incredible lineup of small groups that are going to really, I believe, impact our church in a great way. We have the continual group led by, by Lulu and Troy over here. You guys raise your hands, wave a little bit over here. This is Lulu and Troy. They lead our game night group. They meet every other Saturday, I believe. It's like that. Twi- first and third Saturday of the of the month, and they come up here, and uh, Troy and Lulu do a great job. They got a great group. How many of y'all have come, or you do come? That's kind of a part of your group. That's who you are. Raise your hand. We've got several. Yeah, there's some all over here. How many of you that have your hands raised, you're, you win all the games? Put your hand down, Don. Yep. Now we know who's cheating in the church. We're going to pray for an altar call for those folks that raise. That game night group is a, is a wonderful group. Um, you don't have to be a senior adult to be a part of it. You just have to like to enjoy people and, and enjoy games and having a good time and laughing. So those of you who attend that group, I encourage you to keep going. We have other groups that are represented here. I know we've got a new group that's going to be uh, represented in our church, and it is our re-engage group. And Joe and Misty right here, they're leading. Raise your hand, guys. They're leading this group. This is a group that is designed specifically for the topic of marriage. And uh, these two have uh, gone through this uh, course. They've led it before, so they're pros, they're veterans in this. And let me tell you something: if if you need if you need to reengage your marriage and your um, relationship with your spouse, this group is where you need to be. Because the most important connection you can make is not just your is not in your small group. The most important connection you can make is with your spouse. Can someone say Amen? If that connection is missing, it doesn't matter how many small groups you attend, you're still missing something in life. And so if that is something that would interest you or you think, hey, we need to do this, we, this would be a blessing to us. See these guys. I think their group is just about full, isn't it? I think it's fuller. Joe's shaking his head more than full. But if, if you're just saying, hey, we've got to have something like this in, in our life, you can visit with them after church, and uh, they can point you in the right direction because it's going to be a great group. I believe you all are meeting on some Friday nights. Is that correct? They're going to 
meet, meeting on Fridays. You can get the information on the table. We have other groups. We have our young families group right here in the middle. This is uh, uh, Nathan and Danielle. They, uh, they're leading this young families group. And uh, this young families group is a very busy group because it includes a lot of little uh, creatures that usually run around uh, in those young families. It's, it's the most exciting group because there is never a dull moment in this group. When you're chasing little ones, they, they help out and they kind of combine together and do child care and take care of that. So there's at least a moment to where they can just engage and talk to one another instead of talking to their kids. But Nathan and Danielle, uh, they're hosting this group. It's a fantastic group. So if you're in that age group, you got young families, you're kind of in that, that category, uh, please uh, make that to be a point. We have our young adult group. Uh, I don't see uh, Daisy and Akeem who are here. They usually sit here on the front row. They're leading that group. Also, Sydney and Johnny, I think y'all are a part of that group, this young adult group. Yee-hoo! Uh, these are our young adults, uh, college age, young married uh, couples that uh, get together, and they have their own thing. They've, a lot of them are foodies. You know, They know all the best restaurants in Denton. They hit those exciting places. It's a fun group. We also have another group. It's called the Halftimers. And uh, Shannon and I, we, we are a part of that group, these halftimer groups. Yeah, I see some of you raising your hands. Some of you saying, I don't know if I'm a halftime or if I'm into the third or fourth quarter yet. But, you know, this halftime group, we, you know, most of the folks in this group, uh, they've just got their kids just out of school. Um, you know, uh, there's some grandparents in this group. Uh, but but uh, right in the middle of, of your life and your uh, your maybe an empty nester or almost there. Uh, and uh, these, these half-timers, we have a good time, and we've got a great group. You can see that on the table outside. Uh, Pastor Chris and uh, Kaylee are leading a group called Financial Peace University. It's a group that uh, discusses the uh, ins and outs of, of lining your life up uh, financially. And it's a lot of information. If you have heard of Dave Ramsey, then you have uh, been a been informed about what this group is really all about. It's an important group because if you're just trying to struggle to keep your eyes above water, and I know that it's challenging in these days, um, it's a good it's a good group to know, not just to meet the people in the group, but to be a part of that so that you can say, "Hey, how, what's the best way? How can I how can I get a control over my finances in a biblical way?" And that's what Financial Peace University is. What and am I, am I missing another group? I'm missing a group. Uh, what group am I missing? Heather's gone. I think I got them all. I think I, I think I touched on just about every uh, one of the groups. Uh, don't forget, we have Sunday school on Sunday mornings. We have our Bible study that meets on Wednesday nights. We also have Starting Point and Growing Together. It's a group that meets uh, cyclically every month on Sunday mornings during our Sunday school time. And uh, there's lots of ways in our church that you can get plugged in. And I just encourage you to be a part of the family. If it's home, then make yourself at home and get to know folks. Amen. I want to turn to the Word of God this morning. I want you to go to the book of James, chapter 2. Amen. We've been moving through this, uh, this series in James called Missing Pieces. And we've discussed all of the things that, that may be missing in our life. Uh, maybe we're missing joy in the midst of trials. Maybe we're, we're missing uh, looking at people on the same level. Maybe we're missing, uh, instead of judging people by the character that's within them, we're judging them by the exteriors. Maybe we're missing something 
uh, in our life like faith. Or maybe it's the right kind of faith. And so that's what we've been moving through. And our discussion today is faith. It's about false faith. Now, faith is something that's important. And as I get started this morning, I just want to introduce the subject because faith is the defining mark of the Christian life. You see, with faith, faith is, plays a role in salvation. Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Right. Faith plays a role in our walk, and walk with life because we're also told in the New Testament Corinthians, it says we live by faith and not by sight. We live by faith. Faith is a part of salvation. It's a part of our daily walk. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So faith is a part of how we please the Lord. Faith also identifies sin. Paul says in Romans chapter 14 that everything that does not come from faith is sin. So faith is an essential part of the Christian life. It's an essential part of your life. And because of this important essential role... It's so important that we understand what faith faith is. And James understood that all the way back. There's a quote that I want to give you this morning. I don't know if she put it on the screen, but I want to write it down. And it says this. I want you to hear me. I've heard it said, and this is the quote, that faith is not believing in spite of evidence, but faith is obeying in spite of consequence. Let me say that again. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence. Faith is obeying in spite of consequence. It's not some nebulous feeling that you just get when you're in church. That's not what faith is. Faith is the confidence that God is always good, that God's Word is always true, and that obeying Him is always the best thing that you can do in your life. That's what faith is. It's that confidence. God's always good. His word is always true. And obeying him is always the best thing that you can do in your life. And James chapter 2, as we're going to see, discusses this relationship between faith and works. Faith is, 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 is what, who you put your trust in, who your confidence is in, who or what your trust is in. It is an internal thing. It's what God sees. But works, as James is going to explain, works is how your faith is shown. It's what people around you see. It's your lifestyle. It's where you go. It's where you spend your time. It's where you spend your money. That's what your works are. And it is the representative of what faith is that's on the inside. So James is going to answer a few questions in this passage this morning. We're going to look at. He answers one question in that he says, Well, what kind of faith is it that saves a person? He's going to answer the question Is it necessary to perform good works in order to be saved? Is that a requirement? He's going to ask the question How can a person tell whether or not that they possess true saving faith? These are important questions for every Christian to know and to answer. And so James does it by explaining three different types of faith, but only one of them leads to true saving faith. Let's look at the first one. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, James discusses dead faith. Dead faith. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, everybody say that, says... He has faith, but does not have works. So says and does. 
What good is it to say and not do? Can that faith save him? Verse 15, if a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving or doing them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James chapter 1 talks about hearing and doing. He said, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer. James chapter 2 talks about saying and doing. Don't just make claims, but back it up with the evidence of what you do. Now, the 21st century, the day in which we live, was not much different than what James went through in the very first century. Those who claimed that they had this faith, but they never, but it never made it to the surface, was present in the early church as well as it is in today's church. There are people today in, the, in, in Christian churches right now in this city and all around the world who are in church today and they make all types of claims about faith in God, but that faith is never makes it to the surface of their life that is never seen. Those are the people that James is discussing. He was dealing with those folks in the early church. He was dealing with them in the first century. And even Jesus warned about them because Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What does he say? He says, But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So it's not the saying, it's the doing, Jesus said. And there's a very important precedent that we must recognize that dead faith does all of the talking, but it doesn't do any of the doing. And James points this out. He points this out when he says that people with dead faith always seems to, seem to substitute words for works. Words become the key rather than the actions. Now, you and I know a lot of people who know the right Christian vocabulary, don't they? They know, they know how to stand up and, and testify. They know how to pray a prayer. They know some of the lyrics to some of the songs. They can quote a few good verses. They might even attend church occasionally. But all of those claims, all of those things, never measure out in their daily walk in their life. Why is that? Well, it's because their words, they think that their words are just as good as their works. They think that just making claims about God is just as good as living out a life of faith with God. What they fail to realize is that confession always requires possession. You confess faith, you must possess faith, and in possessing faith, it affects your life. You see, it's possible for you as a believer to be a fan and not a follower. There's going to be a lot of people cheering for the Cowboys today, aren't there? Amen. I'm actually going to be cheering for the Cowboys today. There's a lot of fans that's going to fill the stands. There's going to be a lot of armchair quarterbacks on the couch this afternoon, and they're going to be rooting on the Cowboys. But that does not make you a player on the team. 
Just because you're a fan and you wear the jersey or you put the hat on or you go to the game does not put you on the field. It does not make you a part of the team. And what it is to that person that's sitting in the stands or the person that's just watching it on TV, it's nothing but entertainment. It's sports entertainment. Put that whole illustration into the Christian life. There's a lot of people who talk the talk, but they're not in the game. They can talk about church and they can talk about this Bible and they can talk about what, what is going on as far as, as, far as Christian uh, things in the world, but they're not in the game. Their faith has not engaged God to the way that it impacts their life and all that is is Christian entertainment to them. James addresses this. He says, this is not what true faith is. This is dead faith. Verse 14, James says, if a person claims to have faith, but it never makes it to the surface of their life, does that person have saving faith? That's what he's asking in verse 14. If you never see it bubble to the surface, does that person really have saving faith? He gives the answer by beginning with an illustration in verse 15. He says, okay, So there's this poor guy, and he walks into the church one day. He doesn't have clothes that uh, are adequate. He's cold. He doesn't have food. He's hungry. And he walks into the church, and he's greeted by a churchgoer, somebody that's already in the church. And the churchgoer speaks to him and speaks to his issues, and he says, Oh, my brother, we're so glad you're here. Journey Fellowship Church. We're so glad you're here. You know what? May the Lord bless you. I hope that you stay warm, and I hope that you get well fed. We'll see you next week. And in doing so, what James says is he says, What did all of the talk do to change that person who was in need? Answer, nothing. The talk didn't do anything. Speaking about it didn't do anything because the poor man was still cold when he left and he was still hungry when he left. And James asked the question, can this type of faith save? It's the difference between a lifestyle and lip service. It's between talking a big game and living the big game. He's contrasting faith and works. Now, some people look at this illustration and they focus upon the wrong thing. A lot of people will focus only upon the poor man and they will conclude this, that caring for the indigent, the homeless, the needy, that that is the only true formula for genuine faith. That if you're really saved, those are the people, they're the only people, that's the people you're going to have to be a part of, of, of homeless ministry or you're going to have to be a part of the food bank. And if you're going to do that, then you really have true saving faith. Now, it's true that we have to care for the indigent. That's a, that's a command that the Lord gives us. But it's not the focus of James' attention here. You see, the focus is not upon the poor man that James is focusing on in 15 and 16. James is focusing upon the one that's doing the talking. That's his focus. His focus is on the churchgoer. His focus is upon the, ch- the self-proclaimed Christian, the, the one who claims to have faith. I've got faith. But all he does is talk. That's where the focus is. You see, the words alone didn't change the poor man's condition. 
And words alone didn't change the churchgoer's condition either. The poor man shows up cold and hungry, and he leaves the church cold and hungry. The churchgoer shows up with dead faith, and he leaves the church with dead faith. Why? Because James says words alone don't change anything. Claims alone don't change anything. Faith statements don't change anything. You can quote the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, but that doesn't change what is going on inside of your heart. Words are meaningless without meaningful action. It is lip service, James says. Lip service versus lifestyle. There is a change. Dead faith has no follow-up when it comes to just a, a proclamation of faith. And James explains this. He says, look, Christianity is both faith and works in that order. It's both faith and works in that order. Now, I know some of us, you know, you, 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 you listen to that and you say, you know what, well, I, I thought it was, it was just faith only. Well, James says, look, there is a whole equation here that you can't miss. It's faith and works in that order. He's not, dis, he's not uh, pushing back against Paul. Paul is addressing the other side of the coin. And Paul says it's by grace, you've been saved through faith and that alone so that no one can boast. But faith and works in that order is how a person comes to know God. You see, let me summarize it like this. God works, first of all, for you, second of all, in you, and third of all, through you. So he works for you in that Jesus came and he lived a sinless life and then he gave himself on the cross as a substitution for your sin and for your, for your wickedness and he took your penalty and he rose again from the grave and he brought new life and that is what Jesus has done for us. God gave Jesus for us so that we could have redemption and find salvation in him. And in us, the Holy Spirit then comes in at that moment of faith and He transforms you. He gives you a new life. You become a new creation. You have new desires. You have new, a new nature. You have a new heart. You have a new mind. And, and, and you may not, be, you may not uh, uh, live perfectly, but, but you're a work in process because the Holy Spirit is developing in you. He is working in you to become more like Christ every day. That's what God does in you. And then God does through you. You begin to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. All those things. And you begin to reflect the image of Christ everywhere you go. You become an image, a mirror image of Jesus. And so God is working for you. He's working in you. He's working through you. So if someone says, well, hey, God worked for me, but I don't think he's ever worked in me or through me, then my question is you, James would say, then you haven't really met God. You haven't met God just because you know what Jesus has done does not make you a a possessor of saving faith. Just because you believe that Jesus lived long ago and he was a historical person and he did die on the cross does not give you possession of, of that saving faith. You see, a declaration of faith that does not result in a changed life and holy living, James says, is dead faith. It's dead. It can't do anything. It doesn't save. It doesn't help doesn't do much of anything. 
Calvin wrote this. He said, if faith alone, it is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. James is telling us this. If you truly meet Jesus, it's going to change your life. The inside and the outside. Can someone say amen? If you say you have met Jesus and you have given your heart to Jesus, my friend, your life is going to change. If your life does not change, my question to you is, did you really meet Jesus? Because your works, your deeds, your actions, your behaviors, your lifestyle will change when you interact with Jesus Christ. But you have to have it in the right order. And that's where we have to be cautious. Because faith and works in that order. It has to be in that order. Several years ago, Shannon and I went shopping for some furniture. And we ended up at this big box store down in Plano. It's a Swedish store called Ikea. Anybody ever been to Ikea? Can I just tell you this? Ikea does not sell furniture. They sell you the potential for you to build a piece of furniture. They don't sell furniture. If you've ever bought a couch from Ikea, it comes in a box. It's about this tall and about that wide and about eight foot long. And you're just like, how in the world? This is the greatest miracle that I've ever seen modern. This is amazing. We bought a little desk for Sydney. And so I bring it in and it's these heavy, huge boxes, flat little things. And it's supposed to come into this wall thing. I was like, oh, great. It's easy to drive at home, but it's not easy to put together. So I opened that thing up in her room. And when I saw the instruction manual that looked like a commentary that I read, I thought, my God, what have I done? Why didn't we just go to NTB or NF, NFB, what is it? NFM, Nash, Nebraska, whatever. So I look at this thing and I'm thinking, hmm, screws? Okay. A couple of dowel holes? Well, I'm going to go get my screwdriver and my, and my, screw, my screw gun and a hammer and we're going to have this dude put together. What I didn't read was Ikea not only provides the possibility of building furniture, they give you the tool to do it. And it's this funky little thing that's got like eight different uses. Well, as I go back upstairs with a hammer and a screw gun, Shannon catches me. And she's like, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm fixing to go put this thing together. She said, are you sure you need the screw gun and the hammer? Who reads directions? I mean, it's furniture, right? I got a picture I can go by. What I started doing, building this thing, took about 30 minutes. I got 30 minutes deep into this, Joe. I was at least a half an hour deep into it. And I got some things put together, and then I realized. That's right. I had built this thing out of order because Ikea says, look, if you don't do it in the right order, you're not going to build furniture. 
You're going to build something, but it won't look like the picture on the box. It's not going to be furniture. You see, the faith and works has to be in the right order. If you don't do it in the right order, it will not result in saving faith. Faith always starts first, and then the works flow out of that faith, but it, and it must be both, but in that order. You can't have them out of order, and you can't remove one from the other. Faith and works work together. They are a part of one another. They are the same. Faith is trusting what God has done for you, and your works are the evidence that you're in your, of your faith in you and through you. So what's coming out of you isn't an indicator of what is inside of you. Now let's just pause and think about that. Whatever is coming out of you is an indicator of what is inside of you. Well, what's coming out of you? Is it poor language? Is it anger? Is it rage? Is it frustration? Is it doubt? Is it condemnation that you, you just... You, what, is, what is coming out of you is the indicator of what's going on inside of you. So faith then works in that order. Faith always precedes works, but works evidence faith. You have to have both, James says. Because if you don't have both, it's dead faith. It's dead on arrival. Your claims about knowing God don't matter because it's just intellectual. Now, the second thing that James talks about, and he brings us to our attention, is not just dead faith, but then he talks about demonic faith. Look at it. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now, if James wanted to get the attention of his readers, he got their attention. Just like when I said demonic faith, I got your attention. Here's like, what? What kind of faith is that? Demonic faith. That comes as a shock to people that demons have faith. But let me tell you something. What they do believe, they believe. We know that demons believe in God. There's no atheists and agnostics in hell. They believe in God. They know He exists. They know because they are created and they are in that spiritual realm. They understand that. They believe there is a God. They also believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They know when He came to the earth. They know what He did. They know what He accomplished. In Mark chapter 3, verse 11, it says, Whenever the unclean spirits saw Him, they fell down before Him and cried, You are the Son of God. They had no question who Jesus was. Demons also believe in hell. You don't have to convince a demon that, that there is a real thing called hell. They believe it because whenever they were presented to Jesus, they, they begged Him, as Luke chapter 8, verse 31 says, they begged Jesus, don't, don't let us depart into the abyss. Don't send us into the darkness. Demons understand that. They believe that. They understand that. They know it. 
Here's the tragedy about demonic faith. It's, it's more sinister than dead faith. Dead faith just talks the talk because they've got it in their mind. But demonic faith is more sinister because dead faith is intellectual. Demonic faith is both intellectual and emotional. Look at the last verse. It says in verse uh, 19, it says, The demons believe and they what? They shudder or tremble. What's funny is that Greek word is the word friso. Friso. It means to chill, to have chills. The demons believe in God. They know Jesus is the Son of God. They understand that there is a hell. And because they know all these things, they believe. They tremble. They shudder. There is an emotional reaction that they have. It's like, oh my goodness, it's overwhelming. Let me tell you something. The demons understand that. There is an emotional impact. James is saying it's not a saving experience to claim to have faith by just getting a few goosebumps. That's what that means. They shudder, they they tremble, they chill. You can know the truth preached to you and you can even have an emotional encounter. Your heart can be stirred and you can still be lost. What do you mean, Pastor? Pastor? I mean, you can know the truth and have it preached to you. You can have an emotional release at an altar. And you can still not have saving faith. I think one of the dangers probably in the modern church is this, is that people have come to believe that this faith is genuine. When we come into the modern church now, one of the biggest things that's pushed in the modern church is there is almost like this fight between worship and word. Because let me tell you something. Worship, Christian, Christian worship has become a huge enterprise, in case you haven't noticed. It is a big thing. And I don't discount worship. I thank God for every musician and every singer that we have. They lead us into the Lord's presence. But music is the language of the soul. It is emotional. You are moved by music, whether you're a classical uh, person that likes that you're moved by Beethoven or Bach or whoever, or whether you're a blues guy or, or whether you're a rock guy or whatever you are, you can be moved by music. It will set an emotional tone in your life, right? It does. It moves you. And you feel this emotion. Well, it's no different when it comes to music that has Christian lyrics. Music will move you. It will have an emotional impact upon your life. And what has happened, I believe, in the modern church is we have allowed faith to become just an emotional response to a great feeling. Come on, are you hearing me? It's a great concern of mine. Just feeling something when you come to church does not save you. I hope you feel something. I hope that you feel the presence of God moving upon you. I hope it's more than just a neat neat tune and a great uh, 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 atmosphere of worship. I hope it's the Holy Spirit that's drawing you to make a move from faith to works to do something about your state of spiritual life. 
You see, this, this demonic faith, is, is, it's very sinister because it involves more, it's, it's, it's intellectual and it's also emotional. James challenged in verse 18, he says, Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Can I just ask a question? How could a person show his faith without his works? How can you show me your faith without your life? It's a good question. You know what the answer is? It's impossible. I can't see your faith. The only thing I have to go on is your life, your behavior, your example. That's all I have. Paul makes it clear in Ephesians chapter 2.10. He says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has created us for good works. So being a Christian means both you receive new life and you reveal new life. It's not just an intellectual assent or an emotional response. It is a willful decision. You see, the problem with demonics and and with the demons is they have an intellectual understanding. They have an emotional understanding of it, but they have no volitional, willful response. They know about God. They feel God. But they willingly and willfully refuse to submit to Him. Once again, I ask the question that James asked, can that person have saving faith? Because the same way that the demons do, people do. In other words, demons may believe, but they don't behave. Behavior does not reflect anything. There's some people who think that to know Jesus means that you feel Him. And if you feel him, that you would love him, but that's just not true. People saw and emotionally responded to Jesus who hung upon the cross, but that didn't mean that they submitted to him. You see, salvation comes to those who receive Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. I've said this on numerous occasions. Salvation comes to those who receive him as their Savior and their Lord. See, there are those who would say, you know what, I want, I want God to forgive me, but I don't want Him to tell me how to live. There are those who would say, Lord, I want you to clean up the mess in my life that I've made, but I want you to just leave me alone so that I can keep making the same mess. There are those who would say, Lord, I need an emotional release, but no strings attached. Just help me get out from underneath this regret. I'm sorry for the way things have turned out, but no strings attached. I tell you, those folks have not experienced saving faith. Because Jesus is not Savior or Lord, He is Savior and Lord. 
Being Savior is His work for you, but being Lord is His work in you and through you. And that's what it means to have saving faith. And James introduces these two kinds of faith to us. He says, look, there is this dead faith that's all talk. It's all in the head, but it doesn't have any actions behind it because there's no faith in there that's alive. Then there's demonic faith. It says, you know what? It's up here, and it's even an emotional thing. You get relief. You you feel it. You 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 know it's there, but but it doesn't save you because there is no willful Submission to follow through with what, with that commitment for that understanding. And then he finally ends up with this last one. This last one is called dynamic faith. And it is the only faith that truly saves. And those of you who are saved in this place today and you are living out your faith, this is the faith that you possess. It's dynamic faith. Look at verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's a big scripture for a lot of people to overcome. But you have to understand faith and works work together in the right order. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Dynamic faith is real faith. It's faith that has power behind it. It's faith that results in a changed life. That's saving faith. That's true faith. That's genuine faith. It's not false faith. And that's what James is describing. This is dynamic faith. This is true saving faith. And it begins in the Word of God. Romans 10, 7 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Abraham and Sarah or Rahab both heard the word of God. Abraham heard the word of God through a direct voice from heaven. He even saw the Lord on several occasions. Theophanies, he heard the voice of God and God spoke to him. Rahab heard the word of God through the spies who came to that city. They both heard the word of God and they acted upon it. Dynamic faith is based on God's word but involves the whole person. Dead faith involves the intellect. Demonic faith involves the intellect and emotions. But dynamic faith involves the will, our volition, our decision making. It changes who we are. You may understand the truth with your mind and you may desire the truth with your heart, but until your will acts upon that truth, it's hard to know that, if you, have, that you possess saving faith. Dynamic faith leads to action always. So it is, it is from the Word of God, it involves the whole person, and it leads us always to action. It's not claiming something or feeling something. It is about doing something with what you've been given. When you look at Hebrews chapter 11, 
you know that every person that's listed in Hebrews chapter 11, these are not people who just claimed something or felt something. These are people who did something. These are doers. These people are filled with action. God spoke, they obeyed. They did, whether it was Abraham or Sarah or Moses or, 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 or Joshua. It was all of them. They all received a word from God. Faith isn't believing in spite of evidence. Once again, it is obeying in spite of the consequence. That's what it means to serve God. That's dynamic faith. You act your faith out. You reflect your faith. And James illustrates that through the life of Abraham and Rahab, two of the most divergent, different people that you could use. You got Abraham, this man who was a, considered a godly man, and you got Rahab who was, who was known as a, as a harlot, a prostitute. You have, you have Abraham who was a Jew. You have Rahab who was a Gentile. You have Abraham who was, who belonged to, uh, who was considered a friend of God. You have Rahab who was considered ethnically an enemy of God. And he uses both of these people because they all have, they both had something in common and that was dynamic faith. If you look at Abraham, let me just take you through that story. Abraham in Genesis 15, we see what happens to him. God speaks to him. He speaks to him and Abraham responds. This was his salvation experience. Genesis chapter 15 verse 5 says, And he brought him outside. The Lord brought Abraham outside and he said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Look at verse 6. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed. He put his faith in him. And it was counted to him. An accounting term that said basically Abraham was bankrupt and then all of a sudden his count was full. God balanced those accounts. It was counted to him as righteousness. He believed. He was justified and his account was balanced before God. How is it possible to tell that this transaction took place? Well, if you fast forward to Genesis chapter 22, the illustration that James uses, here's God who speaks to him again. And he says, Hey, if you are truly have faith in me, I need you to go up to the mountain of Moriah and I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And what does Abraham do? He loads his donkey, he gets his servants together, he gathers some wood, and he marches up the mountain of Moriah to go and sacrifice his son. What do you see? You see his faith of chapter 15 has now been engaged because it followed his works. What was true in chapter 15 was that he believed, and it was proved true in chapter 22 because he followed through with his works. That's what James says. This is what dynamic faith is. He wasn't, Abraham wasn't saved because he obeyed God's command to go, to go sacrifice Isaac. His obedience proved that he was already saved. You catch that? Your obedience, your lifestyle proves the faith that you claim to have. Rahab was the same way. The spies go in in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua sends spies into the land. They come across this lady named Rahab 
who the New Testament calls her a prostitute. That word in the Hebrew is a little bit broader. It could mean innkeeper, which means that she's probably going to come across strangers who come into the town. They stop, they talk to her, they find out that she believes that there is a one true God and she believes what's coming. She knows that God is going to destroy this city. And what does she do? She affirms to them. She says, look, I will help you because I believe what is about to happen. Faith. And what happens? They come in. The city is destroyed except for Rahab and her family. She's like one of the first soul winners in the, Old, in the Old Testament because she told her family and they were saved because of her faith. Faith plus works in that order. And it's so important. We have to see it. She had a small amount of information, but yet she still exercised her faith. I want you to just consider this this morning. In your note sheets, I've given like nine questions that I'd like for every person to read and take home today. Because in answering those questions, you can answer that final question, how do I know if the saving faith that I profess is true and genuine in my life? Daniel, would you just come? I'd like for us to just consider something this morning. There may be those who are in this room today and you say, you know what, Pastor? I talk the talk, but to be honest, I'm not walking the walk. If I were to use James's words, I would say, how can that faith save you? Your faith needs to be followed by works. It's not lip service. It's lifestyle. There may be some things in your life that you need to make room for, like what we talked about today. You have to submit to the Lord and say, Lord, I give those things to you. You may not be perfect because no one is, but you have to be willing to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I give it to you. Some of you may be struggling with things in your life. You've given your heart to Jesus, but there's some things that you're dealing with. There's sin that's coming in your direction, just as James described. There's temptation that's overwhelming you. And there may be some things that you're having to, that you're really wrestling with. And sometimes that you've not made the right decision. Let me tell you something. Allow your faith to be strengthened today so that it will produce works in your life. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.